Welcome to We Go There. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... But hey, we go there. Because there's no such thing as having too much information when it comes to your health and wellness. We dive deep into topics, interview experts, and get answers you need. Because knowledge is power. And feeling empowered is what we're all about. So let's go there. I'm so excited for this episode with my amazing friend and mentor, Dr. Sinead DeFore. She is basically an expert in all things pelvic health. She's a PhD, she's a professor, she's a researcher, and she's going to set the record straight on pelvic girdle pain. And that's something you might be familiar with in terms of it being called SPD or lightning crotch, or essentially this idea that, oh my gosh, my pelvis is unstable and I need to avoid certain movements in pregnancy because I'm getting this pain. And, you know, I get asked these questions all the time. What's SPD safe? And it drives me bananas. So (laughs) doc, let's discuss. (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness. So much to talk about with this topic. So thank you, Nikki and Lexi for having me on. So you tell me, where would you like me to start? I I didn't know that pelvic girdle pain was lightning crotch. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it's a lot of different things. I only called it lightning crotch. (laughs) (laughs) Pelvic girdle pain is really any pain in and around the pelvis. So it's not just lightning crotch. It could be like, you know, SI pain, right? Sacroiliac joint Mm -hmm. pain. It could be pain anywhere that impacts the pelvis. Um, But the one that I think most people are familiar with is that pubic bone pain or that sharp shooting pain in that you often get when you are in maybe doing a lunge or you're standing and putting your pants on in pregnancy on your hop, you're standing on one leg, that kind of stuff. Um, and it can feel for a lot of people very debilitating. I've even had questions from people saying, oh, well, you know, can I give birth in different positions or how is this SPD going to impact my birth? I'm feeling very anxious about this. And I did an amazing mini course with Sinead. This is years ago. I remember you led this in Toronto at a friend's physiotherapy clinic. And I was sitting there and my mind was blown, frankly, because I had always thought, oh, we get SPD because the pelvis is unstable and we need to, you know, basically keep the knees together, keep the legs closer together. You know, we need to work on building the stability back because of relaxing this hormone. So, you're basically here to say as a researcher and practitioner, Dr. Sinead, that's not the case. Yeah, absolutely. And that probably is a really good place to start, honestly, is just kind of highlighting, yes, what we're talking about is pain anywhere sort of in that pelvic region. As Nikki said, typically at where the joints are, right, rather than kind of in in the muscle. So you have your two sacroiliac joints at the back, and then you have your symphysis pubis at the front. So we're talking about a pain experience generally in these joints, typically. And we did think for many, many, many years, and in fact, this is how I was trained as well, that because of relaxin, this must be the reason why women in pregnancy struggle, right? And it's a plausible theory in fairness, because relaxin does in fact relax the tissues, right? And so it makes sense that we might think, okay, well, therefore, maybe for some people, it just goes too far and it's a bit unstable. And therefore, that's the problem. Plausible hypothesis for sure. And I think that's why it has stuck, right? Because it kind of makes intuitive sense. But the problem is that we have now proven this is not the case. We have proven that when we are working on that theory and then trying to stabilize everything, that actually doesn't consistently work and doesn't kind of effectively get to the root of the problem. And we now understand so much more about actually pain in general, like pain being an output. We don't have pain receptors, right? We only have, you know, temperature receptors, chemical receptors, pressure receptors. And our brain interprets that sensory information and determines if something's threatening or not, or determines if a communication needs to come out or not. And pain is actually an output. So we know so much more actually about pain in general, and we've disproven this hypothesis. 
And so, you know, it's important that we really are shifting, you know, the way we narrate and care for people so we can actually set them on the right path. The problem with not being up to date with this issue, especially, is because the previous narrative, which is incorrect, actually we see it causes more problems. It causes more fear. It causes more upregulation. It causes more birth difficulties, etc. Right? Because if you're walking around thinking your pelvis is unstable because of pregnancy hormones, and you're getting more pregnant as time goes on, you can appreciate the catastrophization that's going to go along with that, right? If you're already debilitated at 20 weeks and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to track with my pregnancy, what state am I going to be at 39 weeks and how on earth am I going to birth this baby? You can appreciate physiologically now what's going to snowball in the system, right? So it actually is quite harmful, (laughs) to continue with this false narrative for this kind of particular issue. So that's kind of just a little bit of uh, taking us through why we thought what we did, but then sort of where we're at. I have so many questions, but I don't want to cut Lexi off. No, no, you go first. (laughs) I'm like, I'm digesting this all. (laughs) I'm going to ask the questions that all the amateurs will be wondering (laughs) who are listening in. So (laughs) I would love you to talk about Dr. Sinead, I'd love you to talk more about what are some of the causes. Mm-hmm. If it's not relaxing, if it's not the hormones, mm-hmm. you know, well, then what does cause this lightning crotch situation in pregnancy? Yes, absolutely. So that's a, that's a great question. And maybe first I'll just back up for a moment to really differentiate pregnancy aches and pains and contrast that to this kind of classification of pregnancy-related pelvic girdle pain that is quite debilitating. And it's now people are in a scenario that they can't seem to kind of manage this on their own. And so, yes, we know that when we are pregnant, lots of different things happen. So yes, estrogen, you know, boosts up a thousandfold. Estrogen is a sensitizer, right? So we know when we have dominance in estrogen and extra estrogen, we actually are more sensitive to pain. And that plays out in lots of other scenarios uh, where there's estrogen dominance when you're not pregnant, right? So we know estrogen is a pain sensitizer. So that's one reason why, you know, the whole system is a little bit more attuned to kind of what's coming in. And in fairness, there's good design for that because you are pregnant now, you are growing a human being, you know, it makes sense that, you know, our systems are going to be a little bit more attenuated. We have a bit of sensory remapping that occurs and we actually have more distribution of sensors around the pelvic region as we're pregnant. And that's a protection mechanism. We should. It isn't business as usual when you're pregnant. We need to be a little bit more intentional about what we're doing when we're growing a human, right? So, you know, it's important to understand that and that phenomenon likely explains why most women at some point in their pregnancy are going to have some type of ache or pain or whatnot through the pelvic region. And many can kind of think, oh, you know what? I think I overdid it. I just got to kind of go to bed early. Maybe I'll do an extra prenatal yoga class, put a heat pack on it, go for a massage, and they can kind of sort it out, right? So that's that, right? But when we slip into this and we kind of cross over to this different territory, and this is what really we're classifying as pregnancy-related pelvic girdle pain, these are now the mamas who kind of start to have an issue. They're kind of becoming more sensitive and more sore, and they're trying those things intuitively, and it's not helping. And now they're finding, oh my goodness, now I'm finding when I'm walking, like I can't even go for my walk. My walk is, my walk is sore, and now this is a problem. Now I'm having trouble sleeping. And it's kind of snowballing. And as it snowballs, understandably, they're quite distressed by it. And we see that these people now in this classification, it does correlate with more fear, more distress, more depression, more anxiety. And that's actually very, very clear, right? So even just by looking at that, we kind of see, yeah, we've almost stepped over more into the place of it's more like the nervous system and the physiology driving the problem than the mechanics, right? And then if we take a step back and say, okay, well, what are the actual established risk factors that have really, really been established rigorously 
from different research groups all around the world and that are consistent kind of year after year after year, because then we kind of have more proof that we can sink our teeth into, right? Well, all of the risk factors also speak to the physiology and not the biomechanics. So let me just go through those, right? So the first one is what's referred to as parity. And it just means you've already had a baby, right? If you're Nella Paris, it means you haven't had a baby yet. If you're Paris, you've had a baby, right? So parity, the feature of having had a baby is a key established risk factor. And then we have to think, huh, why might that be? You know, why might it be that having a baby is a risk factor. We see often people don't get into this debilitating pelvic girdle pain with the first pregnancy as often. It's much more often the second one, right? Or, or on. And we have to think of why might that be? You know, what is going on that's different in that pregnancy experience that might be kind of, you know, putting the interpretation of threat into the brain so this pain output's coming out? Like what might be going on? Well, when we look at the next risk factor, that gives us some clues because the next risk factor is previous trauma. And what we do know, unfortunately, is that many women experience a degree of trauma, either physical trauma, perceived emotional trauma in their first birth, right? So it's why we then have a bigger pool of people who are pregnant again who have experienced a trauma, many of which it's a trauma specific to the reproductive context, right? And when we've had a previous trauma, that does very specific things to our nervous system. It does very specific things to our pelvic floor structures in terms of kicking on a protection response. And now we actually have more tension in this part of our body, right? And then if we look at the next risk factor, again, it's a risk factor that has nothing to do with biomechanics. It's increased BMI which we know from other research, the underlying mechanism for that is when we're carrying extra weight, it's inflammatory. It creates an inflammatory environment. The next risk factor is smoking. Smoking is not a biomechanical factor. Smoking also creates inflammation. Another newly established risk factor is gestational diabetes. Again, that's an inflammatory dysregulated environment right? And then the other key risk factor is um, lack of a belief of improvement. So think of the narrative that people hear and think of this issue. And that then in and of itself is an independent risk factor for this thing to kind of go on and morph, right? So we have all these established risk factors and one that's kind of newer established um, by one research group in a systematic review is actually the use of progestin-based birth control. And again, we know actually from other pelvic pain conditions that being on progestin-based birth control is a pain sensitizer. So in ways, actually, that totally makes sense, right? So all of the established risk factors point to the physiology and the upregulation of the system. Not a single one points to biomechanics. And so again, it really can help us feel more convicted that, you know, what we're understanding about pain science, what we now know about um, you know, relaxin doesn't correlate with pain. You know, when we have groups of women who have the same concentrations of relaxin, it's not like, you know, the ones that have pain or the ones that don't have any different profile, it just doesn't line up, right? Women typically will have similar amounts of relaxin in pregnancy one versus pregnancy two based on their genetics. And so the relaxin theory just doesn't tease out any way you kind of want to point to it, right? And then we look at our risk factors and we're feeling more convicted that, ah, okay, this makes sense. And then, of course, those of us who now practice according to this evidence-based sort of way of doing things, we see how consistently effective, you know, when you're actually approaching the right targets, uh, how, how effective the care is. My gosh, my mind's blown. <laughs> This episode of the We Go There podcast is brought to you by The Bell Method, a fitness company that blends Pilates with pelvic health, creating choreography from science. You might feel overwhelmed at all the abs after baby programs promising to make you bounce back after birth, or maybe you're feeling unsure of how to exercise in pregnancy and prepare your body for delivery. It can be tough to navigate what information is credible and evidence-based. Women deserve better. 
I created all of our programs with the guidance of pelvic health physiotherapists, and we continue to evolve our programming to stay current with the latest research. At The Bell Method, we ditch guilt and bring balance to our bodies with programs designed to fit your life stage. We'll help you reduce incontinence, diastasis recti, and prolapse so you feel strong, confident, and empowered throughout pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. I invite you to enjoy 10% off your first class session with the code WEGOTHERE10. Visit www.thebellmethod.com for more. So, okay, I have a question again for, because most of my friends who have had babies, including myself, would not have known of the term SPD. And a lot of women go on to, and but very much know of lightning crotch. However, it's something that just happens in pregnancy and most people experience it and you just kind of deal with it as does a lot of, I think, this pelvic girdle pain. So I think a lot of women are walking around thinking and just continuing to experience pelvic girdle pain and on various levels mm-hmm. and are expecting that this is just, you know, it just sucks being pregnant. You know, some people mm-hmm. say, right? Like mm-hmm. it's so hard being pregnant and it's because they're experiencing these types of things, but they don't think that they could fix it because it just comes with being pregnant. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What yep. So and you're quite to- right, Lexi. And People like- do think that and yeah. that narrative is perpetuated by very well-meaning yeah. care providers. Yes. And, and fitspo people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that I know and, and love, like but again, point? the information is... Like, what? Oh. how does one distinguish between, and then I'm sure we're going to get into this, like, I need to do something. This shouldn't, mm-hmm. this pain isn't normal pain mm-hmm. um, versus this is, you know, the odd lightning crotch pain. And yeah, it's I a great question. Nerves, right? right. Like where, when does someone kind of think, okay, no, now I feel like I've crossed over and I actually need help. Yeah. So we have, we used to kind of have this notion, you know, in, in musculoskeletal sort of science and care in general that, you know, acute pain is four weeks and then we cross over to subacute and, you know, then we have chronic pain. But actually what we understand now is this kind of amplification and upregulation process can start happening in the nervous system as early as seven days. Okay. So my advice always is, look, kind of have like a little bit of an ache or pain. You recognize you've kind of overdone it. You kind of think baby has shifted into kind of like a funny position. You know, the babies are constantly changing their positions, right? Or in the case of like our case, Lexi, two babies, and one of them is kind of like in a weird position, you know, and you're thinking, yeah, more stimulation on my mechanoreceptors, you know, whatnot. It's fine to sort of assume, yeah, this should sort itself out sort of within like a week. And if it doesn't, and you're trying all the things, you know, you're, you're kind of doing all the things and it is persisting beyond seven days, do not suffer. Because we know that one of the things that gets people on the track as quick as possible and preventing more of the snowballing is for people to actually understand how pain works. And a lot of people don't honestly understand how pain works because all of us, you know, even how we were like raised, really understood pain from a perspective that is not what we understand now, right? So many, many lay people forget even healthcare providers that don't understand it. Most lay people think we have pain receptors and they don't, they honestly don't understand pain. So if this thing is morphing, we have really good data that if you can kind of engage with someone, understand what the pain output is, what are kind of the contributing factors, that person can kind of help you to understand what was going on in your life at the time and why your system kind of got flooded and why that was going on. That is the fastest way to kind of get someone on track. And we want to make sure people are on track so they aren't afraid to move and keep exercise and healthy and fit. Like we need to keep mamas moving and exercising because that's going to keep their pregnancy good. That's going to keep their baby good. That's going to set them up for a good birth, right? So beyond seven days, if you're struggling, connect in with someone who, you know, really knows a lot about this. So if it's a physiotherapist who has a lot of training in what I would call pain science, I would argue actually that's even more important than a pelvic health physiotherapist. Many pelvic health PTs who have taken a weekend course and have internal skills 
but really don't understand broader pain science and the physiology. And for this particular issue, that's actually more important, right? So connecting in with someone who really understands as well, even if it's something, even if it's virtually, you know, I treat people all around the world now virtually who have seen like 10 different practitioners and like one virtual visit with me. And I check in with them four weeks later and they're completely better, mm-hmm. right? Because just understanding what's happening in your biology makes such a difference. And that is so well evidence-based, right? So yes, beyond a week, that's still kind of happening. You know, that is when you need to get help. And if your care providers are saying, no, 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 this is normal. It's a, they are well-meaning, but not up to date, unfortunately, and are not setting you on the right path. So do not listen to that. I'm going to say something, and it sounds to me like if we were to summarize like a, a good intervention that's evidence-based to help prevent someone from slipping into more chronic pain, Mm -hmm. it almost sounds like talk therapy. Like it almost sounds like trying to talk someone off the ledge, so to speak, where you're sort of like, your body's not broken. You know, you you don't have to stick to these quote unquote SPD safe moves, which is something I'm asked a lot. Oh, is it SPD safe? And I'm like, I need to have Sinead on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) because it's like, everything is safe as long as your brain thinks it's safe in a way, right? Like if you think, oh my gosh, if you're anticipating pain, you're more likely to experience pain. Am I right? Yeah. So you're quite right. Pain is feed forward. And I think one explaining to people, yes, this is safe. But I think the other key piece of that is explaining to them why. And so it's really important that, you know, we are actually physiologically explaining it to people. Otherwise, people walk away with the notion of feeling very invalidated that, Mm -hmm. oh, it's just in my head. And so that's critical, honestly, that they connect with someone who understands physiology really well so they can explain it. This is physiological. It is not in your head. This is exactly what these cognitions do to your physiology. And then this is exactly what they do automatically to your muscles. And then when your muscles are doing this, we have less oxygen, we have the wrong motor output. If we're consistently doing the wrong motor output, we have localized micro trauma. Now we have a secondary issue. So the mechanics do become relevant and the motor output becomes relevant But it's way upstream is where the root of the problem is, right? And so absolutely, people need to understand in almost no circumstances, is there actually a dysfunction at the symphysis pubis joint? And that's what SPD means, symphysis pubis dysfunction. Hmm. No, the symphysis pubis joint is sensitive, right? The alarm system is going off. This is an issue of sensitivity, not instability. So we have to explain to people, well, why is it for you? And everyone's individual context is very different. Why is it for you that your system is so sensitive? Yes, estrogen's a sensitizer, but that's going to affect everyone. Yes, we get more sensory sort of mapping around our pelvis when we're pregnant, but that happens to everyone, you know? So we have to really be looking at outside of the context of those things that affect everyone. Why is this person having such an issue? Is it their previous trauma? Is it that their body is inflamed? Is it that their energy system is so crashed because they're in their second pregnancy, they're caring for a toddler at home who maybe has special needs and is very, very difficult. They're so spread thin. Well, when your energy system is crashing, your alarm's going to go off. That's like danger, danger, danger in your body, right? And so, yes, we have to help people understand physiologically what exactly is going on with them and reassure them this is physiology, right? But it is physiology we can change. And one of the things that will drive the the physiology to an inflammatory protective place is fear and is those cognitions, right? So that has to be the place that we start. So people are not afraid of this output, that they're actually understanding it so they can kind of work with it and then be able to kind of dial it down as they tackle their individual factors, right? And so that's why it really is important that people honestly in an individualized way talk to someone who understands this because so much feedback with attempts to, oh, it's not unstable. You can just do this. I get so much feedback on a daily basis 
indicating that that feels for many people as so invalidating. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel to them that the message is, it legitimately is your physiology. It legitimately is amplification in your nervous system that we can tackle and we need to tackle. That's not landing for people. Mm -hmm. So yes, we need to set the record straight, but people deserve a very clear explanation of biology. And it's that knowing and understanding that then usually changes the way they're thinking about their current pain output, the way they relate to it, and then the way they behave and can kind of get on with it. So that part's really key. Yeah, nobody wants to be told that it's just in their head. Because it isn't. And, yeah. and actually, actually, that's totally incorrect. It's, it's yeah. in your biology. Your cognitions modulate your biology, right? And people need to understand exactly what that looks like. Top three tips, go. <laughs> For someone listening to this who's dealing with quote unquote SPD, and I say the quotes because it really should be called SPS, pubic, what, symphysis pubic sensitivity, SPS. Yeah, yeah, it should be, you know, you're, it's, it's a sensitivity problem. So, you know, my first tips would be, yes, beyond seven days, you have stepped over that this isn't standard kind of aches and pains. We have now this amplification process happening, right? So, so definitely get help. Um, my other tip would be is really understanding that, yes, looking at this as a biomechanical problem and then applying biomechanical strategies is very misguided. In fact, most often there is excessive tension and excessive compression that's creating more alarm in the system. So generally speaking, it's more needing to let go of the structures around the hips and the pelvis, you know, connecting to diaphragm, connecting to then this reciprocal action of the pelvic floor to let go, opening up the hips into butterfly, not closing. So it's actually generally the opposite from those movements um, that most people are thinking could be problematic. Usually those are actually the very ones we need, you know, to bring surrender and openness and kind of trust back into the body. And then the last one would be, you know, movement is key. It is not a solution to therefore just limit just your movement and kind of stay within these parameters that you kind of are, are keeping the, the pain dial down. You deserve to be able to get more to the root of your issue, dial down the sensitivity so you are free to move. Because if we limit your movement in pregnancy, we are setting you up really poorly for birth and postpartum and beyond, right? So movement is so critical, but it's a matter of kind of figuring out initially, how are you able to move that it's not going to sort of keep irritating this kind of neurotag of threat with movement. And this is why we usually say doing more novel movements, movements that are more mindful, um, movements where you have an opportunity because you're going slow to really cognitively reframe what are you feeling, right? So you go into butterfly and you think, oh my goodness, I'm feeling like that sensation around my symphysis pubis again. And you might find immediately you're thinking is, oh my gosh, I need to stop doing this and closing my legs, but then challenging that and saying, but I know this joint isn't actually unstable. It's actually holding too much tension. It's not getting enough blood flow or oxygen. So this physical sensation I'm feeling isn't dangerous, right? It's just my system is amplified. So you're kind of relating to the, to the feeling a little bit differently. You're kind of cognitively reframing it and saying, okay, maybe if I can be here for a minute, what happens if I breathe into that joint? Oh, you know what? That actually made it feel better. Okay, that's what novel movement is, right? And so that's a lot of what I do in my practice. I have um, different sort of videos and recordings of things that I'll send people home with as well, uh, or I can use with my virtual clients. So that's really key. We got to get people moving, but people need to understand that when their system is amplified like this, fitness training does not work on an amplified system, full stop, right? We need to get sort of the sensitivity down and develop homeostasis before we go on to our usual fitness exercises, right? Those are basic rehab principles, and those things kind of seem to be lost, right? So that's just another takeaway. We've got to get the sensitivity down in your system 
probably before your system's going to be ready for your usual prenatal classes. And that's okay. We're going to get there. We're going to get there in a, in a stepwise way. I love all of this so much. Yeah. It's very helpful. And it makes sense. It does make sense. Even to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, it, it's just one of those things that I think it also, we could relate it also in some way to tension in the pelvic floor because I'm constantly being asked, what are the best stretches? I need to release my tension. Um, you know, what are, can you send more stretches? And so this idea, and I always kind of respond and say, picture a dog with a really tucked tail that's really scared. And that dog's tail is still tucked. And now you're like trying to stretch the dog out, but it still wants to constantly be tucking its tail because it's staying in this sort of scared situation. You can make that dog do all the stretches in the world, but it's not going to help that tense tucked tail, is it? Is it sort of like a similar visual with when we're dealing with tension in the pelvic floor, what's the root cause of that tension? Is it your nervous system? Yeah. And that's a really good point, Nikki, because honestly, and that really speaks to the point I made before, don't necessarily assume that a pelvic health physiotherapist is going to be superior at helping you with this issue. Many, many pelvic health PTs talk in terms of a tight pelvic floor, and I'm going to go in and mobilize or release or do the stretch for your tight pelvic floor without at all taking a step back and looking at, but what's driving the protective response in the first place. And actually, can it be helpful? And can we get to our goal faster? You know, if we have a bit of a mobilization on the pelvic floor, can sometimes that really improve the brain's connection to the pelvic floor when we have that proprioceptive input? Absolutely, it can. So it has a place and it's of value, but it is less important than targeting upstream right? So I often use the analogy of um, a sink that's overflowing. So when clients come in, they say, I've had this pain. And you know, I was having to be in like the Cairo twice a week, and it would help. But then the next day, I'd be sore again, I'd be like waiting till my next appointment, or I have clients coming in with this issue and saying, literally, I almost have to like foam roll every single day just to kind of maintain. And those are classic examples that we are not getting to the root of the issue, right? So that's like when you have a sink that the drain is plugged, the tap is on, and it's starting to overflow. And what those sort of, I'm just going to call them peripheral manual therapy techniques, because really they're all the same, whether it's a physio needing to do a constant internal release, or these constant stretches or foam rolling or the kite, like it's all the same, right? It's this peripheral muscle release techniques. That is akin to someone below the sink mopping up the water. (laughs) That's what that's doing. And is that helpful? Sure, that's helpful. Because if we're saying we're only getting the symptom when water hits the floor, that will get rid of the symptom. But you haven't turned off the tap or unplugged the drain. So you're going to keep having to do that. Like, is that honestly the most constructive approach? Right? I would argue that a lot of that sort of in the initial stages when you get going is actually very helpful, right? Because you want to kind of clean up that peripheral mess, but then immediately kind of at the same time saying, okay, but what, like, we got to turn the tap off. we got to unplug the drain. And then eventually the, the sink drains and the system's taking care of itself, right? And that's like the person is self-managing, right? So we need to honestly think of it like that. So if you are feeling like you're sort of in this cycle of, yeah, well, you're doing this and it helps a bit and you're doing this and it helps a bit. You know, that is a clear example. You have not turned off the tap and got to the drain, right? So it might not be the best use of your time to be, you know, in the clinic's office twice a week. Like I would argue your time would so be better spent doing mindfulness training and other things that are not only going to, you know, change, you know, the amplification of the amygdala in your brain. So your threat center is lower. It's going to set you up for a better birth. It's going to do all these things. It's a way better use of your time than in and out of a clinic twice a week, right? So I think as long as people are understanding, this really is more an issue of physiology, not mechanics. You know, we have physiology that floods, that dumps into the biomechanics. And so we kind of need, and that doesn't mean that doing biomechanical things and some things aren't helpful, but they're not the most important thing, 
right? Um, so that's just something that's really important. I mean, I love tools like SRC leggings that really provide some nice support and compression because that can really make people feel supported. And a lot of these mamas who have this issue are very, very depleted. That's another characteristic of a second pregnancy. You are already caring for a human being. A lot of people are not nearly as resilient and replenished in their physiology going into a second pregnancy as they were the first one, right? So there's lots of reasons why the system is going to sort of get taxed and overflow faster, right? So you, these compression leggings, they're medical grade compression. So they also support your energy system. They give the feeling that, you know, we got you, you're supported. So these other tools are really, really helpful, but in and of themselves, if someone doesn't understand their pain experience, they don't, don't understand how to make sense of their biology in a way that it's no longer threatening and in a way that they're, you know, not empowered to turn things around you know, you're always going to just be like micromanaging, right? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Lexi here. Okay. So let's shift to another under the radar, not so hot topic for a minute, body hair. Everyone's got it, but a lot of us want to live smoother. Am I right? 10 years ago, I started Wax On Laser and Wax Bar. Wax On isn't just any waxing and laser hair removal bar. We are the industry leader creating a safe space that inspires people to live confidently in their own skin. Over the years, we've developed trust. Trust that you know you're getting the best quality and comfortable experience every single time. Whatever you come to Wax On for, it's going to be awesome. We've created our own exclusive gold wax formula that's like no other. It's as pain-free and long-lasting as it gets, perfect for all your waxing needs. At Wax On, we've invested in top-of-the-line laser technology that's effective on virtually any hair and skin tone for effective results on every body. Seriously. And we carry a carefully curated collection of products. Some we make ourselves, locally I might add, and some are from brands we've fallen in love with that adhere to our values and standards of clean, good for you, and female founded. If you haven't experienced Wax On, I invite you to enjoy 20% off your first service with code WEGOTHERE. Visit waxon.ca or download the mobile app to book in with code WEGOTHERE because there is such a thing as a better hair removal experience to help you live smoother. I love this so much because of just setting the record straight. And it is a shame because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of physical therapists, physiotherapists, same, same, mm -hmm. um, that are not trained in the sort of getting to the root cause, getting to the sink, getting to the turning mm -hmm. off the tap and unclogging the drain. And, you know, let's, let's kind of maybe discuss that a little bit as well as this notion that, and I get this a lot from our American um, students where they're saying, oh, well, I can't go and see a pelvic health physiotherapist or physical therapist, as they're called in the unit in the US, I can't get anyone to do an internal because I'm pregnant. It's, you know, their college doesn't allow it. I got that DM yesterday or it's not safe. And I was like, you must be in the States. And they're like, yeah, how did you know? <laughs> so maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So you're quite right. Like in the US, much like actually in Canada, you know, how we are governed as healthcare providers, it's provincial. Right. So even the College of Physiotherapists of BC has slightly different rules than the college in Ontario. Right. But across all those colleges, pelvic health physiotherapists, it is not deemed, you know, what we would call a contraindication to do an internal exam when someone's pregnant. Right. And so, really, for the most part, most PTs do. There are some who elect that they personally just don't feel comfortable with that. I never understand that. But in the States, Again, each state governs sort of the rules. And I too have heard and have witnessed certain states, how they train or how they govern. You know, it doesn't permit um, sort of internal techniques with pregnancy, which is so odd because everywhere around the world does that. There are no contraindications to that. The only time we would never do something internal is if there was something in the pregnancy that any type of internal penetration isn't permitted, which would include intercourse and then other medical exams, right? But the majority of people 
are permitted to carry on doing those things. And when we do an exam on someone when they're pregnant, we actually do take care to not do a deeper exam. Like on purpose, we are staying away from the cervix, right? Because it's not really a reliable time to be assessing for prolapse and things because we have so much extra weight in the system. And the only time we really need to go deeper into the pelvic cavity is really to kind of get a gauge on what's happening with those organs, right? So we're going nowhere near the the territory of the cervix. And as I said before, for some people, it can be so incredibly helpful to get that tactile sensory input into the pelvic floor. When the pelvic floor has been kind of held in this protective situation, which yes, is a feature usually of any type of back or pelvic pain, But it can also be a feature with other things going on. And because the brain really operates, you know, through sensory input, like the way we're able to kind of get good motor function is through sensory input. This is why dance studios have mirrors all around them, right? Because for the backside of the body, we can't see it unless we see it in a mirror. And the brain requires that sensory input for optimal motor output. Well, the pelvic floor, we can't see it. And we also can't like touch it. It gets almost no sensory input that way. And the tighter and more upregulated it gets, the more sort of the brain gets like fuzzy and dissociated from the pelvic floor. It's something called introception and it kind of gets compromised a bit. So that's one of the reasons why it can be so helpful, even just seeing a pelvic PT once who actually will do an internal exam just to give you that input into that structure of your body so your brain can kind of reconnect. And I do think there is a lot of value to that for a variety of reasons, even just for birth prep and to kind of connect that awareness. So I think it's a real shame that some of these states are operating under a totally, you know, non-evidence-based directive that way. Um, it really is a shame because there's 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 no data to substantiate that. And pretty much every other country, you know, we we do an exam at that time. In fact, it's it's very important and helpful in a lot of cases. Makes sense. If you can have sex, I mean <laughs> for sure. And that's gonna penetrate deeper. And you're also gonna get the release of prostaglandins, right? Um, with intercourse. And that actually, you know, would run the risk of ripening the cervix at a certain point in time. So it really makes, honestly, and again, that's talking a bit more of the physiology versus the mechanics of it. Physiology usually is always way more important. So yes, it doesn't even make sense, right? Um, But yes, it is a shame for those folks who can't access this care because it can be really, really helpful for a variety of issues, but including pelvic girdle pain, SPD, you know, whatever we're going to call it. Yeah, for sure. Where do we go from here? (laughs) You're so wise. (laughs) No, it's, I mean, what, this is really, where do we go from here in the sense that how do we, there's so much misinformation circling. So one of the things that I think might be sort of kind of maybe a nice place to almost like cap it off is, you know, it's been tough trying to synthesize, mobilize, translate the change in the evidence. It's been really hard. The best practice guidelines, you know, of course, are published in journals and like no one's reading those other than academics, quite frankly. And even the most two up to date clinical um, practice guidelines are actually published in a journal that isn't indexed on PubMed. And so that even limits how far it can get to other healthcare providers, right? So we have this issue. So one of the things that myself and other uh, Canadian physiotherapists did, you know, to try to be a solution to this problem is say, okay, given that like we now have this very different state of the science, but how do we message it out? We actually created an editorial and infographic, right? So yes, it's published in um, a very reputable journal, the British Journal of Sports Medicine, um, but it's an infographic. And essentially it summarizes like this is where we at. This is an issue that isn't about stability. It's about sensitivity. And this is an issue that is self-manageable, right? So we kind of had that as the main thing. And then we have nine different points with a little picture and then sort of like your main takeaway message. So, you know, that's something that would probably be good for me to send you guys to have in your show notes. Mm -hmm. So it is just 
kind of a cheat sheet summary with an infographic that you, you know, if you're a fitness provider, you can give this in your classes. If you're a healthcare provider, you can give this, right? And it's an important place to start for sure. But definitely, like the key really is people understanding their pain experience. And many people aren't going to be able to garner a proper understanding of that just based on an infographic. It's an important starting place. It's a key myth-busting starting place. But that's the place that most people really, like some people, honestly, after listening to a podcast like this and reflecting, might start to gain some insight. But uh, really, for them to really get that understanding, usually, you know, a conversation with someone one-to-one is just going to really crystallize everything for them and make a difference. But that's probably a good place to end in terms of like a summary of all this is this publication that literally just came out like a month ago. Um, And I'm hoping it will continue to be like a helpful way just to kind of get the message out. And can you just repeat again, the type of person you'd recommend these conversations being with like a pelvic floor physiotherapist, uh, like just the I mean, not I would say, ideally the weekend certified person with some internal, I mean, <laughs> Nikki's face when you said that. <laughs> yeah. So I would say any healthcare practitioner, because to be fair, I mean, I teach a very in-depth course on mm-hmm. pregnancy related pelvic girdle pain. And I have a lot of chiros um, that take my course more so from the UK. I have a stronger UK following. Um, so I would argue, honestly, like anyone who actually has a good gauge and a really good understanding, whether you're a PT, a Cairo, you know, anyone who really understands pain science in this issue would be a good person to see. And a quick litmus test that you're not seeing the right person is someone who wants you in there every week, you know, that, that really shouldn't be necessary <laughs> If you truly have been given a good understanding of what's happening and you've been empowered, you know, to get going on some things and then maybe check in a couple of weeks later. So if we're kind of following this dependency model of this peripherally oriented care, that probably is a good litmus test that's not the right person. So it really can be any, honestly, any care provider in sort of musculoskeletal health, but that has really good sort of honestly up-to-date pain science knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. And I ha- have to say, honestly, I have been very humbled through COVID transferring a lot of my practice onto virtual because initially we had to. And actually, I've just now maintained it because actually I have a lot of international people that want to come see me now that when I see people in person, I still have my little ritual of the things that I do. And I'm traditionally a manipulative trained physiotherapist, right? I did orthopedics for a decade and spent a lot of time and money learning how to do that well. So I'm very much in a habit of still using those skills and tools, right? So when I see people in person, I'm using those tools, right? I'm doing my internal because I have those skills and I would argue I'm good at it. And I have always kind of thought, well, yeah, I can do virtual, but, you know, the people that actually get to see me in person, like they get that extra little bit, they get better care and better outcomes, but it's not what I'm seeing. I don't see any better outcomes. I'm not saying the outcomes are worse, but honestly, they're the same. If not, I almost feel like maybe I'm even getting quicker, longer lasting outcomes when I do virtual because it really forces me to not default to doing those things. I really have to spend all my time watching them move, guiding them through the movement, really, really empowering them. So, you know, there is so much, honestly, for this particular issue. I mean, if we're talking about incontinence or prolapse or other things, those are things that like I need to be assessing. But when we're talking about turning down the dial on an amplified pain system, honestly, so much, if not everything, can be done really well by someone who's really good with virtual care. So for those people who are like, sorry, there's like no one in my town. Like I'm so isolated. Um, Just know that, you know, if you can connect with someone good with virtual care, and there's many of us who have are practicing like this now because of COVID. It's one of like the few silver linings that have come through COVID that actually makes this care more accessible for people. For sure. For sure. It's great. Helpful. Yes. All right. Lexi's mind is just like, oh my gosh, this was so much like a total truth bomb. Like, boom. Yeah. I I want just one more thing because I remember we did this on an Instagram live, um, Sinead, where 
or no, it was anyways, some video a while back. Um, and I came to the womb and we did one, we talked about kind of another sign that you might not be with the right care provider. And I, I remember something you said, you said, if that pelvic health physiotherapist is giving you an internal for like 20 minutes, that's also like a bit of a red flag. Oh. Yes. Yes. So definitely. Doesn't sound I mean, for Not sure. Fun. Unfortunately, you know, and this is so devastating for me as, as a teacher, as a mentor of new physiotherapists coming through. But unfortunately, I have interfaced now with many, many people who have honestly been traumatized by a pelvic health physiotherapist. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why some people will elect to see me virtually, then they will elect for treatment that doesn't involve any internal care. You know, there's some good modalities now on the market that can do that. Um, and that's just heartbreaking, right? And I think part of it is, you know, as people are learning and maybe trying to be really diligent and do their due diligence and be thorough. But when you're be taking that long and, and trying to being that thorough with, you know, a really intimate, naturally sort of protective part of the body, it can kind of go sideways pretty quick, right? So, you know, really, if you've been kind of struggling and suffering, you really do want someone who's kind of seasoned, who knows what they're doing. And, you know, that examination process should be very, very quick. When I teach the medical students, I teach in the medicine program at McMaster, and I teach all the family medicine residents how, how to assess the pelvic floor. And when I'm teaching them, it takes about 10 minutes because I'm taking through and I'm explaining everything, right? But then usually I'll show them after and I'll say, so now I'm not going to be explaining anything. And this is how quick it is for me in clinic. Boom, 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 boom. And it's fast. It's a few minutes. And then they're saying after oh, okay, that I actually could integrate into my practice because family docs don't have a lot of time, right? So, you know, we can be thorough and do something really, really meaningful to map the brain back to the pelvic floor and kind of double check some things, but it doesn't need to be a long extended thing. And sometimes that actually does a lot more harm than good. Couple minutes, not 20. Yeah. Got it. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> Good question to ask. Yeah. And on that note, we should have a follow-up. No, this is, it's, I, I, that is a video we did. Actually, now I remember I did an Instagram live with you and we recorded it and I used that video in our course and I, I put it as like essentials to watch because I'm like, Hey, here's what you need to know about choosing the right pelvic health physiotherapist. Listen uh -huh. to this. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for reiterating that. Yes. No, no, no. That, that was a good point to cap yeah. off with. And thanks so much for coming on and um, we'll provide all the info, including the infographic, right, Nikki, mm -hmm. in the show notes? Yeah, we'll put it all there, including your handle doc, at Dr. Sinead, Dr. Sinead on Instagram. And uh, yeah, where people can obviously find you. I think you might be, I know you have a long waiting list, but you might probably say. get some more people reaching out. Doing virtual. Yeah. In, in person, it's like, it's tough to kind of get in, but virtual I have, because virtual I, I allow more flexibility because I can do it from home. So right. virtual, I, I do have space and person's a lot harder, uh, but virtual, I, I have space. So yes, people who are really struggling, you know, please don't struggle. You know, one conversation can go so, so far to getting you on the right path and frankly, like changing your life. So yes, do not suffer. I love that. You're the best. And there for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thanks guys. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.